Hi, my name's Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. This podcast exists to create safe space for spiritually minded conversations about life. Conversations exist to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome as a part of the conversation. What's up, friends? It's Leo. This is a little weird because I have my camera set up in like such a way that I can't see my own face, but I can see everything behind me. Very interesting. Also, I have a fancy new microphone that I'm super excited about. I used it in my video yesterday, but I didn't even get to the chance to ask anybody um, how that it sounded. So hopefully it sounds good. Uh, I dropped a little bit of money on it because it's like important to be making good videos nowadays. So. I'm going to give a couple seconds to let some folks get on, but I wanted to make a follow-up video uh, to my video the other day. I will get back to all of your comments um, it, after the video is over because I can't comment on them and work at the same time. I can't see it. So, um, But I just wanted to make a little follow-up video to my original video because it seems to have struck a chord. Um, in the past 48 hours I've been called violent, I've been called hateful, I've been called irrational, um, I've been called uh, someone who is co-opting, um, someone who is self-aggrandizing, plenty of words. I've been called most of the words in the past uh, 48 hours, but it's okay because I have literally spent a decade of my life healing from the things that have brought me to this place and I'm ready to speak on them at this time, so I'm going to. Um, there's two very important conversations happening in a parallel manner right now. And so the first conversation is about the movement of the moment and the cries for social justice within our world um, and the systemic fractures that are happening in our society because we have let unjust system run for a long time, right? So there's this happening in our popular, popular culture and then there's this other conversation about um, the LGBTQ community and the church, right? So there's, there's two things happening. I just happen to be taking on them both, which is incredibly silly of me because they both take a lot of energy. So I want to state again, as I did in um, the first video, that this is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking for any group of people except for the oppressed and the marginalized, period. Because I've spent a lot of my life being oppressed and marginalized. Um, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about me uh, and kind of where I got to the place I'm at today. Uh, and I'm going to intermix it with some actual um, facts and some things that should be out there. So hopefully this will go pretty well. I tried to make an outline so that I could like get everything in. Um, first of all, I need you to understand that I grew up in the church. Practically born in the church. Been a pastor's kid my entire life. And not only was I as a pastor's kid, but I was actively engaged in the church, right? I saw being a pastor as a part of my calling and I had from a very young age, um, as early as like being five, uh, five years old, I was standing on my grandparents' steps with an upside down Bible, uh, preaching a sermon and I passed the offering plate to my family. You know what I mean? Like this, this is the background I come from. So I'm not someone who casually went to church. I am someone who engaged in it and who lived in it. And for better or for worse, that was my whole entire life. So when I came out, it was with the realization that I would lose my entire 
world at that point. When I say my entire world, I mean my friends, my family, my internships, my career possibilities, um, anything that I had in life, I put on the line to come out. And so when people come at me as if this is some unfounded opinion that I did not work to get to, when they come at me like their opinion is the only opinion, and I'm not speaking of any one person because this is a regular conversation I have, and the conversation that I'm having is about much larger than one person or one place, right? But some people make it real easy to put their stuff right out there, right? But when someone comes at me and misgenders me and accuses me of being hateful and emotional and irrational, those are the actions of someone who is an abuser. That is gaslighting. And I know this because I've, I have worked for years and years to unlearn the effects of abusive systems in my life. If you constantly side yourself on the side of God and you say, I stand on God's word, and then anyone else comes up to you with a different understanding of the Bible, but you say, I stand on God's word, you're wrong. You're standing on your own opinion of God's word and you're conflating your opinion with God's opinion and it becomes an issue. And so I want you guys to know, I'm not coming at this right now. I'm not employed by a church. I don't attend a church. I don't know if I'll ever attend a church again, but I will speak with all of the credibility and passion of 32 years of this lived experience. And I will not be called irrational for speaking boldly. That's emotional gaslighting. I will not be called violent for speaking boldly. That's emotional gaslighting and that's fear tactics. That's pandering to fear. That's saying, whoa, whoa, help, help. I'm being oppressed. I don't know if anyone's seen Monty Python, but that was my reference. Um, but there's no quicker way to galvanize a following than to say, you're under attack for what you believe. This is a known psychological concept. This is a known psychological concept, right? So there's no quicker way to galvanize it. So I'm not gonna be gaslit and I'm not gonna be misconstrued. I personally abhor name calling because I think that it is just unbeneficial to conversations. And I abhor passive aggressive behavior because it's emotionally unhealthy. So I will literally come at this from the standpoint of my own personal motto, which is healthy people attack problems, unhealthy people attack people. So when I'm talking about a problem and you're taking it personally, it's a statement on where you're at emotionally and mentally. And this is a universal conversation that we're having here, right? I have no skin in this game except for to be the voice for the oppressed and downtrodden. And these conversations are parallel conversations that we're having. The social justice conversation happening within our society and the um, anti-LGBTQ sentiments in the evangelical church specifically. Because I want you to know this, the evangelical church is the McDonald's of churches. The evangelical church popped up and popped off within hundreds of years, right? The Anglican church, the Catholic church, Catholic meaning the whole universal church, the churches that stemmed from the book of Acts churches, those churches are not evangelical. A lot of evangelical denominations are under 200 years old. Some 
evangelical churches that refer to themselves as non-denominational literally have no more history than the passion of the person speaking. So I need you to understand that when the evangelical church condemns something, they are not standing on a whole lot of shoulders of forefathers. But when the Episcopal church says, that's cool, we'll hire you, Leo, like, you can work in this space, that means something. When the Lutheran church says, we can have gay clergy, that's standing on generations and generations of forefathers. So I need everyone who's watching to understand that there is more than one interpretation of the Bible, and it is not man's book to be doled out, right? It don't matter how, com how passionate you are, right? It is not a man's job to tell you what the Bible says. It's your job to read it and to sit with it and to study it and to internalize it and to meditate on it and to pray on it. And then you will hear the truth that is in that book. But you do not need to sit under the feet of people who are gaslighting and people who have political agendas and people who have financial agendas. You don't need to sit under the feet of those people to be able to hear from the Bible, from the Word of God. You don't have to. You don't have to. That's a control thing, period. So we're having these two parallel conversations, but I feel like it's really important for me to be a little bit vulnerable and tell you guys a little bit of my story. So like I said, I grew up in the church, man. Um, from the time I was born, I think with the way I speak, it's pretty evident that my dad was a pastor. Uh, it's pretty evident that I have spent years and years and years of my professional experiencing developing my leadership and counseling and public speaking skills because I believed that I was going to end up in the church. So that's where I came from. And the thing about the church is, it's supposed to be about social justice, right? And that's where my passion for social justice came from. I want to drop this little fun fact on you. In the Bible, there are seven verses, seven seven verses that are commonly used as a weapon against the LGBTQ community. I'll discuss those in a moment, but I want to get back to my story before I do that. So there's seven verses in the Bible that have to deal with the LGBTQ community, loosely, because, well, I'll explain that later. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible. There's 31,147 uh, verses in total, I believe. Not that I know that number. Uh, but there, there's 30, over 31,000 verses in the Bible, and over 2,000 of them speak about justice, speak about working to end poverty, and speak about loving the oppressed. The Bible speaks more about fighting poverty and welcoming aliens and welcoming foreigners and helping the widows and the poor. The Bible speaks on, on that over 2,000 times. There's seven verses that are construed to be anti-LGBTQ. And of those seven verses, there's a rebuttal for each and every one of them. So when I grew up, my understanding of the world was shaped by those 2,000 verses that said, you need to be working for social justice. I said it before and I'll say it again. I have no skin in this game except for people who have a foot on their neck from a system that is unjust. Whether that system be the government or the church, frankly, in modern day society, the two are all too close for my comfort. My only skin in this game is for the person who is reading this comment thread, desperately grasping for someone to say, you are okay as you are and God loves you. And so I'll say it and I'll say it again. You are okay as you are and God loves you. 
and you have been treated wrong and it's not okay, right? I know this because I was that person in the comments. Around when I started college, I started to realize that I was pretty sure I was gay. Uh, for me, I had no no concept of it because I grew up in a world that was so churched that it, it wasn't an option, right? Being gay wasn't an option. It's not a thing uh, that I could be, so I never thought about it. And then uh, I went to college and I, I met people and I moved outside of my small town and I started to realize that I was, I, I was feeling these things. And there was a lot of crying and there was a lot of counseling and there was a lot of reading and there was a lot of self-loathing and there was a lot of depression and there was a lot of self-harm because the entire time that I was trying to figure out if I was gay, I stayed in the system. I stayed in the system because I didn't want anyone to say that I didn't try and that I didn't give it a chance. In this system, I was told that I couldn't be trusted because of how I looked. I was told that people had serious questions about the value of my soul because of the choices that I made. I was told that I was going to hell. I was told that I was messed up in the head, a phrase that has interestingly been used recently by local pastors. Um, I was told that I was wrong and bad and vile. And throughout the course of four years of, of self-loathing and, and depression and self-harm and eating disorder and suicidal ideation, I allowed myself to be the victim of exorcism three times. I let that happen. The most spiritually abusive moments of my life happened in those four years. I let them pray over me to cast out demons because I didn't want anyone to say that I didn't give it everything I had. And it drove me to the edge of wanting to be alive. That's where I come from. And that's what I've come back from. I ended up having a nervous breakdown um, around when I was 20. Um, I had what's called adrenal breakdown, which is basically where you... Um, you burn out your adrenaline stores by being so anxious and so um, tense and so nervous and so continually on. And the thing about adrenal burnout, burnout is you literally burn out all adrenaline stores in your body and you don't realize it until you're in the depths of it. And it takes years, up to three years for your body to recover, for your body to regain chemical equilibrium so that you can function. Add a nervous breakdown right um right before coming out and um i had threats of reparative therapy forced upon me by institutions i had my entire college try to kick me out because they said i wasn't following the community code i was stripped of any and all public um leadership roles that i had i was literally put in a single so that i couldn't let other people catch the gay um, I was completely shunned by my entire community, by my entire family, and by every friend I had in the world at that time. So when I'm talking to you about this, I'm talking to you as someone who has done the reading as if their life depended on it because they did. And I'm making this video because it is not okay for you to feel like that foot will never be lifted off your neck whether you are black or whether you are gay. 
because both populations have a foot on their neck at the moment. And the skin that I have in this game is assuring that no one has to go through that fight alone, period. There's a, there's, it's a dangerous, dangerous state of affairs when one person is, is willing to stand up and to conflate their views of biblical interpretation as God's views. Especially when there's great amounts of scholarly articles and lived experience to hint at the fact that that is not the only way to read the Bible. And that is not the only way to read the Constitution. And there are other viewpoints. And like I said, these two things are conflating because these conversations are, are weaving together, right? The thing is, is that the Bible is not inerrant, just as the Constitution is not inerrant. They're both documents inspired by higher powers, perhaps, but written by man. And you're, you're on dangerous ground when you say, I am the only one who can interpret the Bible this way. It is my way or the highway. Because you can say you stand on truth, but what you're really standing on is your interpretation of the Bible. And for a lot of people, I don't know if you know this, but like if you're in a non-denominational church, there's not requirements for you to be a pastor. I went to college and spent $90,000. Well, I took out $90,000 of loans. Um, I've yet to be able to pay that back, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but I went to college for four years after having lived experience for 19 years and having more lived experience for another, you know, seven, eight years after that. And the one thing I've learned throughout that is that the, the, there is more than one way to read the Bible. And it worries me that folks that have little to no actual theological education are comfortable standing up and saying, this is the only way to interpret the Bible. Because the thing is, the Bible is man's words, man's interpretation of what God was telling them in that moment, right? And the Bible has been translated and translated and translated and translated and translated. In Hebrew, there were seven words for the word love. We've got love in the English language, right? The Bible was translated from languages that are ancient and are sacred and are creative and are vast. And we've distilled this book down from that. Not only have we distilled this book down from that, but it is filtered through councils and councils of men that were in political power and people who had financial wealth and people who were revered as leaders. All of those filters are possibilities for people to create an agenda through twisting words, which is what has happened with the Bible. I want to remind you again, 31,147 verses in the Bible, over 2,000 of them reference social justice and how to fight for the oppressed. Jesus himself was anti-government. Jesus was a brown, anti-government, anti-establishment, lover of sinners, lover of all mankind. Jesus had zero words to say about gay people. That's all there is to it. And so you're having, you're having this book that is supposedly inerrant and divinely ordained. I'm, I'm not ignoring, I'm not saying that it isn't divinely ordained, but what I am saying is that men have had a hand in the interpretation of it. There were, there were women who wrote gospels. 
There are whole books that were just yeeted from the Bible because someone didn't feel like they fit, right? And that's just the Bible in, it, in, in some of its forms, let alone the multiple linguistic translations that have happened since then. So no, there is not one way to read the Bible, period. The movement of the moment culturally inside and outside of the church is speaking up for the, the oppressed, period. Everybody wants to bring up Martin Luther King Jr. Like say, oh, right, he, he preached nonviolence. He preached nonviolence. This is the thing. Martin Luther uh, King Jr. also said, riots are, are the language of the unheard, of the oppressed. And you can only oppress a population for so long before they're going to have reaction. Time and time again. They're always going to have a reaction. And then look what happens. People that are in power are going to gaslight the oppressed populations. People in power are going to convince the oppressed populations to fight each other instead of the issue. Happens all the time within the church and the black community. Like we're supposed to hate each other socially. But what happened if we realized that as black people, black people are, my, are, are, are oppressed and they are a minority and they are treated poorly in our society by systems. And as LGBTQ people, we are oppressed and we are a minority and we are treated poorly by systems. What if instead of us fighting each other, we fought injustice? That's the movement of the moment, is an intersectional push towards justice in our society. That's why I'm here and that's why I'm doing this. That's the only skin I have in the game. Speaking boldly on my part has been conflated as being hateful and violent and irrational, and that's gaslighting. Because you know what? I've been oppressed and I've experienced oppression for so many years by so many people that no one would ever look at and think that person is an oppressor. But I'm not gonna be told that when I speak up for justice that I'm being irrational and violent. I don't name call because I think it's abhorrent. I am not advocating violence because I don't think that's the answer. However, you do not get to, you do not get to qualify how an oppressed person experiences oppression and how they stand up for themselves. There may or may not be a cop spotlighting me right now. Um, so to call, to call a reaction um, uh, irrational is to try to discredit somebody without listening to what they're saying, period. The same thing has been done to people who are passionate about the LGBTQ movement and, and, and want to engage in the church. Yo, I'm gonna tell you something for real, for real. I don't even want to engage with the evangelical church most days, to be honest with you. I have such a bad taste in my mouth from it. But I'm not gonna be gaslit out of my history. And the same thing has been done with the protesters. Like, if you protest, they're automatically gaslighting you and saying that you're violent and that you're inciting um, violence and you're tearing this country apart. I'm sorry, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Do I want things to be violent? No. But do I believe that is an oppressed person, an oppressed person has the emotional right to experience their oppression and to break free from it? I'm sorry. And the thing about this movement that's at hand right now is it is intersectional and it does challenge systems of power 
And I will unapologetically speak boldly on that matter until the end of time. Until the end of time. So I wanted to just make mention, this is where I'm switching topics a little bit, because so far I've been speaking about justice and why I'm involved in the Ole and Justice Coalition and, and why I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work I'm doing in the community. But now I, I want to take a brief divergence to speak about um, gay people in the Bible. It's not going to be long because, frankly, there is scores of scholarly articles about this, and it is not my job to educate any person about this, as it is, any, as it is not any black person's job to educate you about racism. We are responsible to educate ourselves about systems and oppression, right? But I am going to say a little bit here because there's someone in the comments here. I know it. There's someone in the comments. There's someone in the threads. There's someone out here that needs to hear that you are okay as a person and you are not bad and you are not flawed and you are beautiful and your history and your heritage do not preclude you from being a participant of a better world, right? So we're going to talk about this real quick. I, if you want references, I'll drop them. Um, but a lot of my references came from the um, Oxford Dictionary. Uh, it's like the, the source for biblical exegesis at the moment. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll just drop the articles because it's like a lot of things to name. So there are seven main verses, seven main verses, seven, sorry, main verses that are used to uh, used as a weapon that are weaponized against the LGBTQ individual. Um, four of these verses are in the Old Testament. I'm not going to bother with explaining too much about them because if you understand anything about the Bible, there's this thing that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The Old Testament is before Jesus came to earth. The New Testament is, uh, you know, Jesus's life and on. And in the New Testament, it says, I came uh, to abolish the law, right? The law is no longer our master. We live by grace. So... Essentially, literally, when Jesus came down, if you believe the Bible, you understand that historically there was a division in the Bible and there was a division in church history at that time because previously they were living by the law. People in the Old Testament, like, um, fun facts, right? When, we, when people call uh, Jesus the Lamb of God, it sounds like really weird if you're not a church person, but it's a phrase I grew up saying. But that, that actually is a reference to blood sacrifice because before Jesus was born, before Jesus came to the earth, in, in the world of Christendom, uh, before Jesus was born, you had, to, uh, you had to give blood sacrifices to atone for your sin. So the, uh, the re reasoning behind Jesus being referred to as the Lamb of God is because um, Jesus was supposed to be that eternal sacrifice for sin so that we didn't need to blood sacrifice anymore right uh so fun fact about that but so so the whole the whole shit changed right there man um and so the verses that are in the old testament the old testament is a historical document it is a record to the jewish faith it is the whole thing right uh the torah is the whole thing um but the old testament in in these context that i'm talking about is nothing more than historical reference um and so that's all i'll say about that there are plenty of things in the Old Testament that we do not still believe in, man. Uh, my shirt has two kinds of fiber in it, bro. I, I clip the hair on the sides of my face. I eat shellfish. Like, these are all common things, right? Um, there is one story in the Old Testament that people like to use to clobber gay people, and it's the reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's actually still like um, the... Is it, is it epidemiology? No. 
Well, the, the, the structure of the word for sodomize comes from this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So people like to say that this story of Sodom and Gomorrah is anti-LGBTQ. Fun fact. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right, these foreigners came into town and the locals raped them and harmed them and abused them. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not about same-sex relationships or same-sex acts. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is about being inhospitable to the alien and to the foreigner and to the immigrant. Sounds pertinent at the moment, but maybe in the context of kids in cages instead of gay people. Take a read, see what you think. So we've talked about the Old Testament. The verses in the New Testament are particularly interesting, right? Because those are the ones that we have to live by. If we buy into evangelicalism or modern day Christianity. So there's three mentions of the uh, of homosexuality in the New Testament. And the th this is where you have to understand the history of the Bible. Because the, those, those passages that are being written about same-sex acts were actually being written about same-sex acts happening between heterosexual people. And they're not talking about, they were, they were non-consensual, um, pedophilic same-sex acts. And there is actually no word in biblical Greek to reference homosexuality, to reference um, monogamous gay relationships, consensual gay relationships. The word in the Greek that is translated to, to be weaponized against gay people in the New Testament, it is actually referencing a practice called pedastry, which is a, a, a practice of older men raping younger boys. So we're talking about two different things, and that's just one example of how the Bible was translated to serve a certain end in a lot of ways, right? Um, so the other thing about the context of the Bible is that homosexuality wasn't a thing in the Bible. Like there was no divination between same-sex relationships or between heterosexuality and homosexuality, right? Um, there was no concept of gay marriage when the Bible was written. There was no, there that wasn't a social construct, right? And so literally in the context of the Bible, I have a really good quote here and I want to read it. Um, in the context of the Bible, right, uh, Paul condemns coercive and excessive and predatory same-sex sexual activity practiced by the Romans, pedastry, pedophilia. He would have condemned, condemned the same acts if they had been in a heterosexual nature because they were pedophilia, not homosexuality. And that is a translation issue. And that's an agenda. And they don't teach you this shit when you're in youth group. Right? I had to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and spend years hating myself before I found out that I was hating myself based off some, some group of, of, of men in power and their version of what I should hear. Right? When it talks in the Bible about, um, in the New Testament, Paul talks about, is it in Romans? Yes, in Romans one twenty six, Paul talks about um, giving up your, your natural desires and, and being inflamed with unnatural desires, whatever. Um, the thing is, 
They are talking about non-consensual same-sex acts. They didn't have a cultural construct for the concept of LGBTQ people. It wasn't a thing. And I'll blow your mind one further. There were gay people and trans people in the Bible. I'll go one further and say God is gender queer because God is neither male nor female. I'll go that I'll go that much further because it's true. I was peddled a very limited version of the Bible and I hated myself for years. I wanted to commit suicide for years of my life because I didn't realize that I was being peddled one version of the story of events, right? I'm going to drop the link to this article. I don't care to talk about this anymore because frankly, I'm over debating people if it's okay to be gay because it's, it's okay. It's, it's not, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's a non-issue at this point. So I'm not going to devote any more of this conversation to that. But for those of you who need the links, I will be dropping them in the comments. I really would appreciate if you shared this video because there are people out there who need to hear this. Circling back around to where I, where I started and why this video came up. It is disruptive and it is disturbing and it is chilling when people cannot separate their own interpretation of a situation from the gospel truth. It is disturbing when people cannot separate the church and the state. Jesus was anti-government. It is disturbing when the Bible is used instead of uh, and as, as a weapon instead of a shield. And it is disturbing to me that populations of people have been hoodwinked into focusing on seven verses that have translation errors instead of talking about the over 2,000 verses that reference social justice, fighting poverty, and helping the oppressed and the aliens and the immigrants and the motherless and the fatherless and the widows. It is disturbing to me when we have sold our soul down the pipeline of prosperity, cisgender, heteronormative, white Western theology. It is a corrupt viewpoint to equate It's a corrupt viewpoint to say that saying Black Lives Matter is anti-Bible. It is a corrupt viewpoint to say that if an organization is open and affirming and accepting that they are evil, it is a limited and myopic viewpoint. In 2020 is the year for intersectional push for justice. 2020 is the year for an intersectional call for the world to do better. 2020 is the year where we come together as LGBTQ people, as black people, as native people, as people experiencing poverty that is thrust on them because of a system. It's the year when the minorities stop fighting each other and come together because love will always win. Love will always win and hate will always expose itself. 
Not everyone will be reachable with that message. Certain people will be galvanized to know that someone has a differing opinion from them. But 2020 is the year where we will not settle for misgendering. We will not settle for racism. We will not settle for systemic oppression. And we will not settle for those things coming from our capital and from our pulpits. If there ever was a time for a move towards social justice, it was now in this dumpster fire of a year. This will be a year that will change the world for better or for worse. And I firmly believe that in Olean and in the world, there is more love than hate, and there are more good people than there are bad people. And I firmly believe that it is time for people to stand up and look at people who are black and at people who are LGBTQ and at people who are oppressed by the system and say, you're not alone and you're not crazy. And I will not apologize for speaking boldly on that matter. And I will not be gaslit into said that I was being violent or irrational. I'm not worried about it. It has no effect on me because it's completely untrue and it's a manipulative tactic. If you're being attacked, you're doing something right, you never have to check yourself. It's a flawed logic. 2020 is the year where we come together and we stand up and say no more kids in cages, no more cops breaking necks, no more knees on backs, no more Bibles being used to clobber gay people. This is all happening culturally, right? This is all happening culturally. 2020 is the year that it comes to an end. Period. Right? And I have one step further that I'd like to go. I'm personally issuing this challenge to the churches in Olean, New York. Our churches have been silent. Well, except for some. Our churches have been silent during the rally cry of Black Lives Matter. Our churches have refused to say the phrase Black Lives Matter. Our churches have refused to join the movement towards social justice. I get it. It's scary. It's different. It's hard. But here's my challenge. Someone asked me yesterday if I knew of any open and affirming churches in Olean. I personally have knowledge of two. Um, I won't put them on blast because I didn't speak with the pastor before this. But if you would like to know them, I would happily tell you. But I'm going to let this video rock and I'm going to see who responds. My challenge to every single local faith-based organization, every single Christian church out there, will you go on video and say the phrase, Black Lives Matter? Will you go on video and condemn the murder of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor? of Maurice Gordon. I can't, I can't even name all of them, of Eric Garner. Will you go on record and will you say, no, this is unjust. If you are a local church, if you are a local pastor, if you are a local parishioner, I challenge you to stand up for social justice. And I look forward to working with you because this movement is, is not religious, but I do believe that our, our religious community needs to have a standpoint. Furthermore, I would challenge any church, any pastor, any parishioner to stand up and say, I support LGBTQ individuals. I don't want to hear love the sin or hate the sin because the thing is being gay is not a choice. So when you say love the sin or hate the sin, there is no differentiation because I am gay whether or not I have sex with another woman. I am transgender whether or not I ever took testosterone, right? 
So when you say love the sin or hate the sin, you're saying I hate gay people because gay is not a choice. I wouldn't choose this. So my challenge to local pastors is to stand up, to make a video, to make it known that you support Black Lives Matter, that you can say that phrase, that you can let that come out of your mouth. My second challenge is for any local organization to stand up and say, I am a safe space. I also wanna add one more thing to the tail end of this. Oftentimes in conversation regarding um, racial justice and regarding the LGBTQ community, um, we've heard a lot of talk from our mayor, and I'm comfortable saying this because he said it on public record, our mayor um, regularly referred to needing to speak to the faith-based community about the issues at hand. And so I'm issuing a challenge to the mayor to sit down and to talk with our local mosque, with our local temple, with our local Buddhist organization, with our local UU church, with our local Baha'i organization. I'm challenging you to sit down and instead of saying the faith-based community, but only talking to white conservative churches, talk to all of the faith-based communities. Because the faith-based community so far has been used for code to I need to talk to some more white conservatives. If you want to move forward as a society, you need to include all faith-based organizations. I have experienced more love and acceptance in our mosque in Olean when I attended and in our temple in Olean than when I went to Passover than I have in many religious settings in my life. 2020 is the year of intersectionality. 2020 is the year of interfaith. 2020 is the year of social justice. And we're coming forward. We're moving forward. And if you aren't responding to this message, it is the assumed silence. It is the assumed negative space of your silence that you're saying you're not for this, right? There's two spaces in conversations. There's what you say and there's what you don't say. And in this, in this time, to be silent is to side with the oppressor. To be silent is to side with the oppressor. Because you're either for social justice and you're for racial equality and you're for equality or you're against it. There's no middle ground. There's not. So I challenge local churches to stand up and say, I support Black Lives Matter, to stand up and say, we are open and affirming of LGBTQ people. I, stand, I challenge you to stand up and to truly open your doors and be a place for all. And I would love to work with any pastor, any imam, any leader, um, any rabbi that wants to come forward and say, I st support social justice. I would love to stand shoulder to shoulder with you in this movement because 2020 is the year of no free passes. 2020 is the year of social justice at all costs. And if you happen to believe in the Bible, the Bible mandates that you be a part of that movement. That's just a little bit of my story. That's a little bit of my thoughts. I thank you guys for taking the chance to listen. I thank you guys for taking the chance to, to drop positive comments and support my way. I also thank you for sharing your stories and I thank you for sharing your pain and I thank you for sharing your stories of abuse and broken trust and hurt and mishandling. Um, you're not alone, you didn't deserve it and the world is better than that. And we are sure as hell going to stand up and try to prove that in 2020. Thank you so much, everybody. 
I encourage you to reach out to me. If you would like to be involved in social justice and only and there is an awesome group that's running um, only and racial justice coalition full disclosure I am I am a part of only and racial justice coalition but I'm speaking for myself right now um, but there is a group of people that are dedicated and that are working and that are doing things to try and make only and a more just place um, only and can go in that direction we do have the potential but we have to stand up and demand that the future goes that way. So if you want to be involved in social just movement, social justice movement, look up only on racial justice coalition. Um, we are doing some things. There's a lot of young, great, passionate leaders on board, and I'm excited to see what happens. Um, if you want to speak in regards to uh, open and affirming church um, settings, um, also please message me. I went to school to be a pastor. I'd actually rather poke myself in the eye than be a pastor right now because it's it's a lot of work right um but apparently i've struck a nerve because my inbox would seem to indicate that there are many many people feeling this hurt and feeling this need and feeling this desire um for for a better safer place so um hit up only on racial justice coalition if you're interested in social justice if you're interested in, in church stuff um hit me up and i'll try to i'll try to answer you and get you connected with someone who can hook you up um and and who knows what will happen but 2020 is the season for social justice and we're doing it and we're doing it together and it's intersectional and it will change the world thank you guys so much this has been the conversations podcast thank you so much for joining the dialogue if you have any questions or comments on the episode about conversations in general, or just need some safe space to talk, join the digital community on the Conversations Official Facebook group and Facebook page. You can also find us under Conversations Official on YouTube and Instagram. And of course, please take a second to rate, follow, and share this podcast so that we can continue to build the conversation. I'm Leo WT. Thanks you so much for listening.